Um, hopefully you had a chance to get to know some of the ladies you didn't know before. Um, we're really looking forward to this semester. Hopefully it can be just a good time to get to know the faces around your table and around this room um, as we just look to God's word together, spend time together and be praying for one another and maybe checking in with one another throughout the week. So we're just excited to be jumping into another semester here. Um, now in case, I mean, as most of you already know, we'll be looking at the book of Habakkuk. I'm not sure how I'm going to say it throughout, but we'll start with that. Um, the teachers have all just been joking of, okay, how are we going to say this? We all have to say it the same way. So it's on you guys to remember how I said it. <laughs> now, I'm sure all of us here are experts on the book of Habakkuk. Um, and we probably already have the page number memorized. So if you can turn in your Bibles um, to the book of Habakkuk and we'll be getting started. Now, this morning, um, I have been tasked with providing an introduction to the book. Now, Habakkuk is this, it's this sweet little book nestled in the middle of the Minor Prophets. Um, if you're like me, you probably only read it once a year when you get to that point in your Bible reading plan, and you don't think too much of it. Um, however, as I hope we'll all come to see over the semester, this small book written by a Jewish prophet from a small city in the Near East some 2,600 years ago. A man, a time, a place so foreign to our lives, yet that this book um, is one that our hearts need so much today. So we will start with just reading through the whole book, and then we'll dive in. So starting in 1 verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Yahweh, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than evening, than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. Are you not from everlasting, O Yahweh my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Yahweh, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. 
He brings all of them up with a hook and he drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And Yahweh answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. <laughs> Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in Yahweh's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done in Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone, Arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But Yahweh is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shigionoth. O Yahweh, I have heard the report of you. And your work, O Yahweh, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Temin and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. 
His brightness was like the light rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Yahweh? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in Yahweh. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Yahweh, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. And let's just pray as we open God's word. Lord God, as we have just read um, this discourse between you and Habakkuk, God, um, we just pray that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things, that you would help us to see your face in your word. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. So you guys can flip back to chapter one. And it opens with violence, destruction, strife, perverted justice, and wickedness. Habakkuk was a prophet of Yahweh. He was a righteous man. Yet when he looked around at the city of Jerusalem, what was supposed to be the holy city of Jerusalem, what was supposed to be this city on a hill to be a light to the nations, this is what he saw. Violence, destruction, strife, perverted justice, and wickedness. Now we could look around at our city, at our country, and could add to this list. You think of sexual promiscuity, perversion, adultery, abortion, medically assisted suicide, racism, money laundering, corporate corruption, drug addiction, child pornography, domestic abuse, human trafficking, broken families, homelessness, violence, destruction, strife, 
perverted justice, and wickedness. It almost seems like the wickedness rampant seen the wickedness rampant seen in the Near East in the seventh century BC is similar to what we see today in our sophisticated, woke, on the right side of history, um, 21st century Canada. And why is that? If we've had so many advancements in human rights and legal procedures, criminal rehabilitation, psychology, medical technologies, the internet, food production, and yes, the most life-saving of all, plumbing, um, which is true, it is the most life-saving advancement of all time, and I'm really thankful for it. Um, but then why are we still plagued? Plagued by this wickedness, the same injustice, the same violence. Could it be that the problem doesn't lie in our circumstances or in our culture? It's not in our historical context, but it's actually inside all of us, inside the unregenerate hearts of man. Now Habakkuk looked around at his city and he saw wickedness. And we see his response in verse two. He cries, how long, O Yahweh, shall I cry for help? How long will you be silent? Why, God? Why are you not doing anything about this evil, this suffering, and this injustice? This is a painfully honest prayer. It's a lament that I'm sure if we're being honest, this is something that all of us have either cried out to the Lord or have wanted to cry out to the Lord. And this is how the book of Habakkuk begins. Hey God, the world is ugly. Wickedness abounds. Injustice flourishes. And you, God, don't seem to be doing anything about it. And now, maybe our hearts are not wearied by the same international um, relations and injustice that Habakkuk's was, but our problems are big to us too. Why this diagnosis? Why did she die? Why did he leave? Why do they hurt me so badly? Why does none of this make sense? Are you even good, God? And how can you be good when there's so much evil and suffering around me? So where do we go from here? Habakkuk took his cries to Yahweh, boldly and honestly. He went to God and poured out his heart, asking for an answer. No one wants to admit they have a problem with God, but Habakkuk admits it. He laid it all out there to see, and we can learn from it, because we sometimes have a problem with God. It's interesting how in our Christian circles, it can be a bit taboo to share around our tables or at a prayer meeting, hey, I'm really struggling with God right now. Um, but we see throughout the Old Testament, throughout scripture, and especially in books like Habakkuk or a lot of the Old Testament prophets, that the saints wrestled with God. They were honest with God about their struggles and afflictions. And this was not because they didn't believe in God or in what he was doing and, and how he was working, but because they were men and women of faith. They could say, hey, I trust you, God, but I don't understand how this fits into your plan. And we see that here in Habakkuk. And so as Habakkuk cries out to Yahweh for answers, so should we. Let's honestly bring our struggles, our suffering, the injustice and evil we see in the world. Let's bring those things to God. That's okay. It doesn't make us a weak or an immature believer. In fact, it's as we bring this honesty to Yahweh that we will find our faith or our trust bolstered, our faith strengthened, and our myopic vision widened. As we study this short book this semester, 
I pray that this is the work that's going to be done in our hearts. I pray that our hearts can go as we'll see in the flow of Habakkuk and his personal wrestling with the Lord. I pray we go, can go from a sob of lament to a song of praise. Now, the book of Habakkuk is structured as a dialogue between Habakkuk and the Lord. We see Habakkuk bring his lament in chapters 1, 1 to 4. He has a problem with how God could tolerate the wicked nation of Israel without doing something about it. God, how long can you be silent when all around me, all I see is sin? Habakkuk's first problem is with Israel's sin and God's silence. So God responds. We see this in chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. He is not silent. I grabbed the water. Give me a moment. So God shares with Habakkuk that he isn't some absent, aloof deity who's unaware of the rebellion of his people. He sees Israel's sin, and he has a plan to do something about it. But his answer just raises another problem for Habakkuk, the problem of God's sovereignty. God will do something, but it isn't what Habakkuk expects or wants, which can be so true for us when we bring these things to the Lord. So often it's not what we want or what we expect. And we see here that God plans to raise up the Babylonians or the Chaldeans, who are an even more unjust than the Israelites, even more wicked, to execute judgment on his people. And in case Habakkuk hadn't received the memo on the Babylonians, God describes their wickedness. They are a bitter and hasty nation. They conquer lands, they level cities, and they leave this trail of of destruction. Not only are they violent and wicked, but they worship their own strength. They're proud. Um, And as we see at the end of verse 11, their own might is their God. Now, Habakkuk was a prophet in the late 7th century BC in the city of Jerusalem. When reading through this book, we don't find too many historical or or, um, contextual clues. So we don't know much about anything about Habakkuk as a man or about the the specific wickedness or injustice that he was seeing. The only real clue that scholars have for for even dating this book in, in the timeline of history is this reference to the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. By this, they guess that Habakkuk was living in the pre-exilic period of Israel's history, similar to that of Isaiah. So, and if you were there on Sunday, I think Utah gave a helpful summary of where, where Israel was historically at that time um, and kind of connecting that to then our day. Um, so if you weren't here, go back and listen to it. I did not go back and listen to it to, write it down to tell you. Um, <laughs> so anyway, so by this, sim- it's the same time period as Isaiah. And this is a time when um, Assyria was a dominant power in the region. During the season of threat from the world superpower of Assyria, and then Babylon rose up in power um, as Assyria declined in power. So we have two wicked nations, Assyria and Babylon, um, and they are both threatening Israel. And Israel also at this time is a divided nation. We have the, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, where is Jerusalem and where Habakkuk would have been in that southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had already fallen under Assyria in 722 BC. And then around 605 BC, um, Babylon rose up against the Assyrians and conquered them. And then over the next few years, invaded many of the surrounding nations, including Judah. So God's stated plan to use the Babylonians to judge Jerusalem came in 586 BC, when the city was besieged and devastatingly destroyed. And we can read more about that in Jeremiah 
just that level of destruction. Um, so rightly so, Habakkuk is taken back by God's response in chapter 1. And we see in, in chapter 1, verses 12 through 2, verse 1, um, we see Habakkuk's second problem with God, that of God's sovereignty. How can a holy and just God use a wicked nation to discipline his chosen people? Don't you know that they're worse than we are, God? As we see at the end of verse 13, Habakkuk says, Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up a man more righteous than he? God, how can you sit idly by and watch the bad guys swallowing up the good guys? Why would you use them to punish us when we aren't nearly as bad as them? The Babylonians worship their own hands. They'll praise themselves and their false gods for their victory. And we see that um, in those latter verses of chapter 1. They'll, they'll catch the nations with their net and then they'll go and offer sacrifices to their net. Like, this is not going to bring you glory, God. Um, Habakkuk ends the second complaint in 2 verse 1 with a bit of a pout. It's almost like he's saying, I've had my say. I know better than you. So what are you going to do now? I'll take my stand and demand an answer. And then we see in 2 verse 2 through 20, we see God's answer to Habakkuk with a vision. He's making it clear for Habakkuk so there's no misunderstanding. The solution to the problem of God's sovereignty is a call to faith. Justice may seem slow, but wait for it. The Babylonians are puffed up with pride and rebellion, but the righteous shall live by faith. And we see this theme verse for the whole book um, in 2 verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed upright, is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. God's answer is, trust me. I will not explain exactly what I'm up to or why I'm working in the way that I am, but trust me. Now it'll take Habakkuk a while to figure this out, and it takes us a while too. Life's problems are not all worked out perfectly with a bow on top. Life is more complex than that. God doesn't answer with a, this is what I'm doing and why. And as much as we would love this explanation, his not giving us one is for our good. It's so that we can learn what it means that the righteous shall live by faith. The Christian life begins with an act of faith, our eyes being opened and our humbly bowing the knee to Christ our Savior but it also continues with many acts of faith, this living out of faith that we're called to. So finally, to finish his reply to Habakkuk in 2 verses 6 through 20, we see God give a list of five woes of judgment. God is reminding us that he is still in control. He is still the righteous judge, and he takes sin seriously and will judge the sin of both the Israelites and the Babylonians. And even in this list of judgment and denouncement, I mean, it's, it's intense. It's, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? It has much description and it's, um, it's scary. But even in this denouncement of wickedness, we in Habakkuk are given two sweet reminders that one, God will triumph in the end. And two, he is in his holy temple. Two verse 14 tells for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And 2 verse 20 tell, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. God is zooming out the camera lens. 
He's giving us this macro view of his plan and his future glory and victory. And we need to see this big picture in order to make sense of the little pieces of our lives. God knows what he's doing and how things are going to work out in the end. So we need to be humble before him. We need to view his glory as the ultimate end and not our comfort, our glory, or our deliverance, even from these hard things in our lives. Habakkuk's final response to God is is incredible. We see this in in chapter 3. No longer is he standing there proudly demanding an answer concerning his complaint, but he's now humbly bowing his knee in worship to Yahweh for his goodness and his sovereignty. We see this shift from the beginning of his conversation with God, from the sob of lament for the wickedness of the people and God's silence, to now he's praising God in song. Yahweh has revealed himself to Habakkuk, and Habakkuk's only response is awe, humility, and trembling. God's ways are so far above ours. Who are we to question his methods, to question his timing? And then in 3 verses 16 through 19, we get what some call the most steadfast verses in the Old Testament. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fails and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herds in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in Yahweh. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Yahweh the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. When there is utter chaos and calamity, famine, disaster, and death. When our kids are sick, when we receive the pink slip at work, when our spouse is dying, when our mortgage is defaulting, when we watched loved ones decline, when we're rejected or passed over for a promotion, or when we're reviled, and spurned for our convictions, will we be able to say, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. He is my strength. And I pray for all of us that as we dive deep into this book, as we look to God's word and what he's revealed to us about his means, his methods, and who he is, our hearts and our eyes will be lifted up. Our faith will be strengthened. Our trust will be anchored. For as he has said, my grace is sufficient for you. So let's pray, and then we can go to a time of just of, of talking around our tables. Dear God, we are so thankful for the book of Habakkuk. We are so thankful to see Habakkuk, a man who, who knew you and who loved you, to go from why, Lord, and, and not, none of this makes sense, to this still doesn't make sense, yet I will praise you. And so, God, we pray that this would be the prayer of our hearts, that this would be... Um, the trust and the faith that you would grow in our lives to be able to be steadfast um, in times of calamity, that you would be our rock and our refuge through all of the waves of life. When the torrents come and the waters rise, Lord, that you will be our anchor. So I pray this for all of the women here. I pray for any that are listening online, Lord. And um, yeah, we just pray that, that you would be God and that we would humbly bow our knees to you, Lord. We pray this in your name.
Amen.